up when you're ready for me to start recording. All right. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. This is the last Sunday of the month. We will be spending some time as a church family in prayer. But as I've stated, I'd like to take a moment before our prayer groups to discuss from the Word of God some truth regarding prayer. I believe personally that when it comes to prayer, the more you know, the more powerful your prayer is. Now, let me explain what I mean. Obviously, the Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, avails much. So it's not just knowing a lot that is going to increase the power and effectiveness of your prayer. But I believe even a righteous man can pray for the wrong thing ignorantly. I believe a righteous woman can pray not understanding God's will, and you say, well, who can know God's will as it relates to our daily lives? I get that, but there are certain things in the Bible that we know are God's will, and if you're not even aware of those, then you're kind of, I think, setting yourself up for a weak prayer life, regardless of the the connection you have with God, regardless of the righteous living. That does not mean perfect living. That means a lifestyle that seeks the Lord. Regardless of that, if you're seeking the Lord, purely through worship only, and not through his truth, there's a problem. Now, having said that, there is actually something I want to talk to you about briefly. A lot of people are addressing it, the revival in Asbury, which is spreading across the nation. I I love seeing people coming to the Lord, and I love seeing a renewed heart of worship. As I see it, I've done a lot of research on this revival as a spiritual leader. This interests me. I've done reading. And uh, as I see it now, and this is only from an objective, far-apart view, I'm not in any way associated, obviously, with anything going on, it seems to me it is a renewed heart for worship. Now, a renewed heart for worship isn't necessarily the same thing as a revival, and I want to tell you the difference, which is why it's important that we have this conversation this morning. Because a renewed heart for worship just means people want to connect with God. A renewed heart for worship means they want to experience God. They want to feel God. They want to know that God loves them. That's a renewed heart for worship. And that is what I see going on in Asbury. That is what I see going on in colleges across the country. Young men and women are seeking for something more than what the world has been giving them thus far. That is a great place to start, by the way. Uh, But it's not the end. It's just the beginning. A great place to start is to say, I don't have what I want. There must be more out there. I wonder if it's God. And I think that's what's going on in the hearts of a lot of believers who maybe know God but are coming back to him, but also a lot of unbelievers who are saying, what is going on here? But revival isn't just worship. Revival is embracing and applying truth. And that is what I want to deal with this morning when it comes to prayer, that if all we're doing is just worshiping God, connecting with God, singing to God, uh, we're not truly following his word as a whole. The Bible says those that worship him must worship him in spirit and what? Truth. What I see going on at Asbury and in colleges across the, the nation right now is I see a lot of worshiping in spirit. You say, Pastor Russ, why do you say they're not worshiping in truth? Because from the little bit of reading that I've done about those who are leading the revival, college students and the campuses that they're at, they're not embracing truth. A lot of them, they're, they're still holding on to the LGBTQ movement. A lot of these young college students are, are coming into the worship service, even some of them, from what I can tell, leading, and they're fully embracing the LGBTQ lifestyle. Either they are in it, or they are promoting it, or they are okay with it, thumbs up with it. So, Can you still worship God and have a strong deception upon you? I believe that uh, it is possible to come to God with the desire to worship and still have a lot of deception. 
I believe that you can come to God in a desire to worship and still be deceived. But I do believe that to offer God the worship that he deserves, that deception needs to be cleared away sooner than later. Does God accept us as we are? Of course he does. Come as you are, God accepts you. But God's desire is to start clearing out that deception and start replacing that deception with truth. So in the long run, we will know if this what nationwide campus movement, if it is a revival, is when the deception is cleared away and these young men and women who've been embracing the LGBTQ lifestyle for, for their entire life, going to public school, being told a certain belief system as a young man, as a young woman, if they at 23, 24 say, you know what, the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says that we need to love them, but we should not encourage, promote, or condone. That would be revival to me. On a college campus level, when college students stand up for truth and morality, that's revival. Not just a spiritual connection or desire for spiritual connection. They're not the same thing. A lot of Christians go to church. They worship. They go back home. They do the same thing they've been doing all week. They sing. They sing the loudest. Go back home. Do the same thing they do all week. There's no revival in their heart. They're having an experiential moment on Sunday, which gives them what you might say energy to keep doing what they're doing and thinking that everything's okay. But revival is a renewed embracement and connection and application of truth from God's word. So when I talk about prayer, it is important that we aren't just spiritually connected with God. It's important that we're not just in a worshipful heart as we pray. If we truly want to offer the worship God deserves, we do so in spirit and truth. Can I remind you of the first, what we find, act of worship with uh, two young brothers. Well, we say, I say young. Maybe they were middle-aged by then. It's hard to say how old these guys were, right? So we find Cain and Abel. And the first real act of worship, what do you find? Both are worshiping. Both are. Have you forgotten the story? But one was worshiping as he desired, and the other was worshiping as God desired. But both were worshiping. One chose to follow the truth, the limited truth that God, there wasn't much truth God gave at that point. It wasn't really too hard to follow what I assume was a very basic amount of truth. But even with that basic amount of truth given, the other one said, nope, I'm still not interested in following even the small amount of truth. I'm going to create my own truth and worship you with my own truth. Well, God rejected that. And through that rejection of worship, the one brother killed the other out of jealousy. Are college students worshiping? I believe that. I'm fully... um, in my heart, I have confirmation in my heart from what I see. Students are worshiping God. I just am not ready and prepared to call it a revival yet. And I'm not ready and prepared to say that their worship of God is worship as God desires. They are worshiping God, I think many of them, in the way they want to worship God. That isn't necessarily a bad thing at the beginning of something like this. The goal and the desire would be to see it become something better. But unfortunately, if there aren't leaders standing up and showing them how it can be done better, oftentimes what happens, and I've seen this, seen this, guys, this is not the first time, you know, I've seen people worship God in their own way. As a kid, I saw people doing it. As a teenager, I saw people doing it. The end result will be if a leader doesn't stand up and say, all right, you want a renewed connection with God, truth needs to be implied. What's going to happen is people just walk away creating their own religions. They'll take what they believe is the best of everyone's belief system and then worship God with this mixture, concoction of belief system and then just stand up on a stage and sing songs to the God as they see him to be, to the God that they've created him to be. That's a dangerous thing. 
So this is the perfect time for someone to stand up and say, all right, you truly want to know God's heart? Then let me show you truth of God's heart. And then they will be confronted with the choice of do I actually want revival or do I just want to keep feeling good because I'm on stage singing a song to a God that I've created in my head. But before we're too hard on college students who are just now for the first time discovering or rediscovering what it means to be connected with God, Christians do the same thing quite often in our prayer lives. We pray without truth. We pray to the God that we've created in our head, oh, the God I serve would want this. (laughs) The God I serve wouldn't want this. The God I serve would have me pray in this way or in that way. Where in Scripture can you point to and state very clearly the Bible says this is what God wants? Because if you can't do that, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm just telling you, your prayer life is not nearly as effective as it could and should be. And so that is why I'm taking you to Scripture every time we have one of these prayer groups each month so you can walk away with a little more truth and a little more truth. So over time, your prayer life can be as effective as God intends it to be. Have you ever heard the statement that you pray until God says no, then walk away? In some form or fashion, you've, you've heard it stated, when God says no, that's your answer, you move on. Raise your hands. Only one? Seriously? No one else has heard any form of that statement? I have. I've heard the statement in, in various ways that... Basically, you have an obligation to pray, but once God gives you no, you are obligated to stop praying because God's given you his answer. Why would you, why would you be so, um, so rebellious as to pray when God's told you no? The picture could be a young child when the parent says, no, you cannot go to your friend's house. And the child, can I go to my friend's house? No. Can I go to my friend's house? No. I mean, we look at it that way and say, well, how rude is the child to ask for two hours to wear their mom or dad down to the parent finally says yes. Why would we do that to God? Well, you forget that uh, God isn't us, and we aren't God. So is there some value in comparing God to that of a father? Yes, God does it himself multiple times. God compares himself to many things, shepherd, father, brother, groom. All right, so there's a reason to compare, but don't take the comparison so deep that every part of the humanity is applied to God, that every aspect of parenthood is applied to God, only the parts that God says and God takes those parts. And then he often says, I'm better. Like, you, if, if a father would do this, I'm a good father, meaning I'm better than the father that would do this, right? As opposed to, uh, I'm not exactly like them. I'm better than them. I'm a better version of them. All right, so Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Faint means give up. Obviously, the direct definition would be not just give up, but like your body, bodily, your body literally gives up on you. Your body shuts down. You're on the ground. You're out cold. But to spiritually faint would be to either you give up by choice or your spiritual condition has just run out of energy, run out of steam. It has run out of, of power, uh, the ability to move forward. And so even though you don't want to give up, like your spiritual part has given up on you. That would be faint as well. So how do we keep from fainting? Well, praying. (laughs) Praying keeps you from fainting. Verse 2. There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. This judge knew full well he was a scoundrel. He says, I don't care what people think or want. I don't care what God thinks or wants. I'm the judge. I'll do what I want. 
Yet, verse 5, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So it seems she's already been continually coming. How about today, judge? You going to deal with my problem today? Nope. How about tonight, judge? Nope. How about this morning, judge? Nope. How about this afternoon, judge? Nope. Like this widow had nothing better to do than to track this guy down, no matter where he was, and to say, have you, have you thought about my problem? Do you have an answer to my problem? Now, this judge responds as he's thinking to himself, I'm going to help her just so she'll leave me alone. That is the opposite of how I was taught to pray as a kid. I, I was told that you pray when God answers, you accept the answer, you man up, and you move on. That is not what I'm reading here. Verse 6, hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? Elect meaning, and you could use that word in, the, in, in coalition with saints, his own saints, those who've accepted God as their Savior, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on this earth? He's asking the question. So, when Christ returns, will he find people who pray like this? Now, when Christ returns, the church will already be raptured. Those that are, are on earth saved will have been saved during the seven years tribulation, and if there's any time to pray, it'll be then. So, when I return, will those new Christians who've been saved within seven years, will they have this kind of faith, this kind of prayer life? But let's ask ourselves, does God see that now? Does God see this kind of intensity of prayer life, continual prayer life? God says, no, you keep asking. God says, no, you keep asking. God says, wait, you keep asking. Now, I am not saying you ask anything against his will. That would be unwise of you. Because the worst thing could happen is God say yes to you when it's against his will. Well, God would never say yes against his will. Well, sometimes I think God teaches us a lesson through what we want, not through what he wants. You say, how can I make sure I pray within God's will? Keep coming at the end of every month, and I'll keep showing you passages of Scripture regarding prayer and how that looks. But the more you know, the more effective your prayer life. And what did you learn today? Don't stop praying. Keep praying. And if you are praying within the boundaries that Scripture has set, then you just keep praying. If you're praying for the salvation of another, I guarantee you that is in the boundaries of God's Word. Keep praying. If you are praying for the revival of another, that is in the boundaries of God's word. You keep praying. If you are praying for a renewed connection with a, a family member, a spouse, a child, a parent, that is in the boundaries of God's word. Keep praying. Don't stop. If you are praying for uh, healing in your own life, that is in the boundaries of God's word. Keep praying for healing in your life. Emotional, spiritual healing. Keep praying for physical healing. You say, well, I've been praying for physical healing for, for three years, 30 years. Hey, it's not outside the boundaries of God's word. You keep praying for it. Keep on praying. In this particular passage, though, did you catch what the prayer was about? Enemies, tribulation, attacks on your life, on your family, on your children. And God says, when, and we're in verse uh, 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect? Remember the illustration was a widow who said, I have an adversary who we're not told what he's doing. Maybe he's trying to uh, take her house. She's obviously on her own. She's destitute. Maybe he's trying to throw her out on the streets, but this person is out to get her. 
And the only one she can turn to is the judge who can keep this man from causing her to live in the streets. I'm just giving an option. I don't know what it is. She's being attacked. Are you being attacked by family, by friends, by spiritual forces that the Bible says we fight against? It is in the boundaries of God's word that you seek safety with him and that he provides protection for you. That's in his boundaries. Pray continually for God's protection over your family. Now, sometimes when you pray for God's protection, he just does it for you. You don't have to do anything. It's just done. Sometimes his protection is a direction that he gives you. And he says, follow me towards protection this way. So pray for wisdom that you know which one it is. Give me protection, God, and let me know, are you just going to cover me? Or are you going to ask me to move to your covering? (laughs) And then make the move when God gives you those steps. If God says, nope, I'll just cover you, then don't move. Stay where you're at. Shelter in place. And pray and pray that God's wings of protection will cover you. I think this passage can be applied to many types of prayer, but it is interesting that specifically it's dealing with protection from those who would seek to destroy us. So we're going to take some time to pray now. J.D., if you could uh, turn that off. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening to this, you'll have another opportunity uh, for another prayer audio clip next month.